Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to a brand new sixth season of the Rugby Pod on Spotify. I'm Andy Rowan. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be catching up on some of the rugby news from over the past few weeks, looking ahead to the start of the new Premiership season this weekend and getting the guys' predictions as well. Then we'll be having a chat with Russing Scotland and British and Irish Lions star Finn Russell. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. How's the off-season been, guys? Interesting. Interesting. How was yours, Jim? You look happy. You're smiling. You know, you had your ups and downs last year, didn't you, son? You know, some we all had our kept... ups. Andrew, we all had our ups and downs. We didn't get four holidays like you could self and then two more <laughs> in the off-season as well. But thank you for asking. And visually looking at me thinking, you look unbelievable, Jim. You look tanned. You look big. You look shredded. You look hung. All them things, all them positive things that you put into the mountain pot. I'm at, it's Andy Rose Stag too in a few days, lads. That's why I'm so happy. Not because I'm necessarily back on the rugby pod for a sixth season. Can you believe it's been six years? How are we it's, still here? How are we here talking about Bush and talking about the stuff that we talk about and we're here for a sixth year? I don't look a day past 50, lads. Well, mate, we've aged a little bit and my weight has probably gone up a stone for every year we've done it. But it is great to be back for a sixth season and it's amazing. Wherever we go... Wherever I'm going now, I was on holiday in Portugal, people loving the podcast. And Jim, here's one for you. Off-season, holiday, of course I did. Walk into the hotel, and this isn't a promotion. I didn't get anything free. Uh, I paid to stay at this hotel, but the Conrad in Quintas Lago is an unbelievable hotel. I had an amazing holiday there. First person I see as I walk into the reception, Jim, as I'm on holiday, Johnny Sexton. Again? You said that before. I, I promise you. This, this I, last I season story, mate. No, no, no. I promise you. So it's kind of weird. So last time I saw him there was 2019. Uh, it just pre-World Cup when they were out there on camp. The first person I see, I'm walking in, I'm shouting at the kids. I'm like, just stop running. You're going to get hit by a car in a minute. Whatever you're saying to them. And then the first person I see is Johnny Sexton. And then you go into Cool Dad. You're like, kids, just relax. Mum, you take over. And I was just having a chat with uh, Johnny Sexton in reception. The first thing he said to me is, why is Jim Hamilton such a cunt? No, he didn't. He said that again, didn't he? He said that again. No, he was joking. Uh, But he was on good form. And um, yeah, it was just interesting. So we've aged six years, but probably, look, I'll probably age 10 years in six years because of the pandemic. Now, Johnny, without being horrible to him, aged significantly over about a couple of years. He went from black hair to black and white hair to white hair. Then now he's got black hair because he's dyed it. How was he looking? (laughs) He was looking good, actually. Um, and I sat there by the pool. And I, if you remember, Jim, if you can cast your mind back, I sat there by the pool and sent you a picture of the difference between an international superstar having a burger by the pool and then a Irish rugby player having a bowl of fruit. You sent me a picture of your feet. Have you got gout or not? Or is that swelling? <laughs> it's just the cankle, mate. It's the cankle from the operation. Oh, the cankle. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. But nothing, nothing, nothing's changed. Well, Goody, you mentioned people recognising you from the pod overseas well I climbed Ben Nevis in Scotland no one recognized me but Jim absolute superstar climbing ben nah, it was no, ridiculous no, no. every five minutes no it wasn't all right it was yeah it was it wasn't every five minutes it was every probably six or seven humbly you know it wasn't that <laughs> bad but it was pretty bad well so let's just clear it up then Jim you finally gone through with the challenge and stuck to your word because Last season, season five, you were pulling out of physical challenges left, right and centre with Andy Rowe. You pulled out the Eaton Mess. You pulled out of Ben Nevis. You pulled out of loads of things. You finally climbed Ben Nevis together. We did. We did. I climbed it, walked it, ran it. Andy Rowe crawled a bit. It was the <laughs> hottest day. It was the hottest day in Scotland ever, on record, I think. And Andy Rowe, be honest. Were you thinking, how has this man got up here so quick? I, did, I didn't think that you had it in you, to be honest. I don't. I saw you when you did your triathlon, and you almost died running five k. I didn't think you're going to make Very it. Very true. Well, I'm not really built for a triathlon, but I am the mountain man. So I did get up there, and it was yes. Me and Andy Rowe got up there. He got the bagpipes out, which was hilarious because we played them 
in Glen Co or somewhere or somewhere that looked fucking good on Instagram. That's all I know. And I think I broke <laughs> the bad pipes and Andy Rowe played them at the top. It was a mo- and Andrew, you were missed is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Now, I don't want to stereotype and go off the picture that you sent me from holiday with the gout or the canker or whatever it was. I think you would have been like a lot of the families trying to get up there. I don't think you would have got up there, Andrew. I'll be honest. No. I mean, it was quite funny. We were talking about you lots on the way up and we were walking past people. I thought they were smoking inhalers, but they weren't. They were smoking vapes. I don't know if you smoke an inhaler <laughs> for asthma, but these people, there was like these these clouds of smoke and they're like, how far is it to get up? And I was like, look, I don't want to be horrible, but I don't think you're getting up there. And if you do get up there, you're probably not getting back. Every time I smelt the watermelon or the strawberry vape, I thought of you, Andrew. I thought how of nice you. is it though? That smells lovely, isn't it? Well, I think it's lovely if you're at the bottom of the hill, but if you're halfway up the biggest mountain yeah, you don't in the UK, want- then no, arguably not. But you were missed. Yeah, thanks guys. And would I have been better than Andy Rowe? Because you, you basically phoned me and said he was an embarrassment. He had all the gear. He had these horrendous walking boots on. These big, le- <laughs> these big, massive leather things. Like I've cooked him his dinner before he's gone up. You know, I've made his bed. I've made his coffee before we've we've gone up. I've brought the whiskey. He's thinking, what is going on here? And he is sweating, <laughs> kind of like we will be at the weekend, Andrew and I. Mean, but he, I hope so. He, it was uh, it was good fun though. We connected, and uh, yeah, look, as I say, <laughs> I'm back. And Jim, you were in Gloucester last weekend weren't you well a couple of weekends ago i was andrew while you were on holiday i've been doing all these good things at ben nevis i don't know why that was a good thing it was a good thing for it was a great thing for instagram look let's just put it out there it looked bloody great on instagram it did didn't it it did and you got away from the kids for a couple of days right very true my wife has reminded me of that with the <laughs> upcoming trip to um, spain to ibiza but yeah me we, me and andy Rowe again look with bffs andrew maybe it's just me, just be me and him but we did the game for Jack Adams Memorial at the weekend, uh, last weekend actually. A lovely day at King's Home, Gloucester versus Bristol's. It was good. What about my speech before the game, Andy Rowe, for the Gloucester lads? The arousing speech. It was speech. very arousing. I know, I saw them look at him on the video and they're like, who the fuck is this clown talking to us? There's some absolute Gloucester legends in that changing room. And then That was my first got... point. I did say that. That was my first line. They cut that bit out. <laughs> no, well, I did say, look lads, there's some Gloucester legends in this room and who better to speak to you fellas than the Gloucester legend that's been sent in. It's fucking Bristol in there, lads. It's Bristol. Let's go get... Anyway, they, they were fired up for the game, but it was uh, it was a great occasion. They were laughing at the end of it. They were laughing. Yeah, same thing. They were... And Jim, why weren't you playing? Because obviously there was, there was people in worse neck than me playing. Uh, I obviously couldn't turn up for the game because um, I was away. But what's your excuse for not playing? The body, man. I beef, um the body. No, I, <laughs> my back's still buggered. So. Oh, no, not the back again, is it? Yeah, I know. I'm not going to bring that up again this season. Well, the Premiership gets underway this weekend, hence why we're back. So, should we have a look ahead to that now? And uh, should we talk about the rules for a start? Because there's a few rule changes, isn't there? What do you guys make of those? They're called laws. Andy, Andy Rowe, just to let you know, they're called what laws. I, say? I mean, it's, you said, you said can rules. Just, can you not call them rules? Same thing. Because what, what if you want to say rules is rules? It, well, you can say rules is rules, but they're laws. I mean, if we're being real rugby nausy about it and going straight into the law changes is really rugby nausy, at least call it laws, Andy Rowe. But there are a few changes, yes. And I agree with one of them. And I don't like another one. The main two that are going in. Obviously, we're going to talk about the 50-22 kick, where if you kick it from inside your own half and it bounces out in the 22 of the opposition's half, you get the line out. Now, I like that play and I like that idea because basically what that's trying to do is take defensive numbers out of the front lines they've got to cover the backfield as well which should entice teams to attack more from in and around their own halfway the 10 meter line of their own half etc etc instead of just going to this box kick game but I like that rule I do like it a lot the other rule I don't like so much because it just ends players like Jim Hamilton's career on the old picking goos doesn't it Jim yeah the the picking goo one where if you get held up over the try line it'll be a dropout from beneath your post and to kick out and it doesn't have to be beneath the posts does it not have to be beneath the no posts? just Maybe. try line some on the try line yeah okay well that could be interesting then i don't know why is it going to be any more interesting because you just hoof it long but yeah i think that takes away all the picking goo stuff that we've seen i think if we think back to last season how good the rugby was and obviously i don't know how but they did quinn's won the prem uh, but the kind of rugby that they played, Bristol, I mean, most of the rugby at the back end of the season was class. But 
there's an element of the winter months, the old pick and goo game. Rugby doesn't become as easy to watch during the winter months. And that style of game, the pick and go, Exeter, the very, very best team at it. They have been latching on. Chat to Christoph Ridley at the game, Gloucester versus Bristol last weekend. I was asking him about the laws or the rules is rules around, um, obviously, the pick and goo. And he, was, he just said they're going to be hot on it to start with. The latches latching onto the players. Chat to Kelly Brown about it as well. So I think there'll be a big shift in that because it almost became impossible to stop. Didn't it? If you think about Exeter when they got close to the try line, you knew that they were scoring. You knew, you knew Luke Kawasaki was going over with three guys holding on to him. So I think they're trying to not outlaw it, but they're trying to move away from that. So it will be interesting. I like the 50-22 rule. I saw a few clips from Australia. Actually, Rob Carney, an Irishman, doing his thing. I quite like that. But yeah, I think everyone wants to try and see a quicker game and... Yeah, I don't know. They'll be hot on the picking goo, won't they, around the try line early on, I reckon. I think they're doing it, obviously, to to increase the ball in playtime. And my issue with the law that states if you get held up over the try line, you go to a, a goal line dropout for the defensive team. If you've got Franz Stein or if you've got someone that can hoof it 60, 70 metres, you'll just hold them up over the line. Then you coach your players to work your body angles so that when they are close to the line, you just get underneath them. And we know that's possible you just got someone to well it down the field, 60, 70 metres. And it's a defensive game again, isn't it? And I agree with the changing the latching rule so that there's not two or three guys pre-bound and you know, going through the contact and there's dangers around that. And the one guy can latch now, but he's got to enter the ruck in the same way that everyone else does. So he's got to go through the gate and stay on his feet. You know, you see a lot of latches that just go down to the deck together and it's kind of sealing off. So they're going to be hot on that. The big thing for me is just the... And, it, you know, it's going to take some getting used to, isn't it, for, for, for teams, for fans, for everything. It's It's gone a little bit down the, the rugby league route of let's just hoof it, have a goal line dropout. Six to, six to go, six to go in terms of the rugby league. But, you know, Faz will be on fire with it, won't he? And the big thing, chatting to Christoph as well, um, which people listening to this might be happy to hear, is around the the breakdown and attacking a fellow player's legs. Not that players would attack a fellow player's leg, but you'd go for the hinges and stuff. And again, chat to Kelly in depth about it because he's obviously coaching at Saracens now. They're not outlawing the the turtle role. And we saw obviously Jack Willis get badly injured uh, with his ACL in that mechanism. But they're, they're trying to look after players more so who are in them jackaling position. So hopefully that rule or law interpretation is enforced as well because some of the injuries around the breakdown, which again, going back to last season, was something that we spoke about a lot as well. And there's been a change at Bath as well. Sips is back. Do you reckon he could be the man to get them into the top four? Well, Andrew, if there's any time he's going to do it, it's the year one. And I say that because every time he goes to a club, his first year is unbelievable. So Bath are an interesting club. Um, I'm sure we can talk about what some of the other clubs in terms of what players they've brought in. But I don't know, is Cipriani alone enough for for Bath? It's interesting looking at his journey. I'm glad to see him back in the Prem. Love watching him play. The way he left Gloucester, was unsure what he was going to do. And he's ended up at Bath of all places. So again, Bath are an interesting club uh, to see where they go. I'm not too sure that Cipriani will be enough for them, but they're in Europe as well this year. I think the big thing for Sips is it's great to see him back playing rugby in the Premiership again, isn't it? Because he is a kind of bums-on-seats player. You know, the fans will be excited to see him play, the Bath fans especially. And in reality, is he good enough and are Bath as a squad good enough to get in the top four? I think Sips is out-and-out quality on his day. Uh, I don't think the Bath squad is good enough to get in the top four, even with Danny Cipriani. I think Rhys Priestland was phenomenal for him last year at times and... Uh, they, whether they finished seventh or eighth, um, they squeaked into Europe. I know that, but yeah, I mean, top four. I think there's a there's three big clubs, isn't there? If we're being really honest, there's three big clubs. I think that will be in the top four, um, and there's a load of others that will be scrapping for that fourth place. And the big three for me are Exeter, Bristol, and Saracens when they get all their superstars back. That a boy. Um, that a boy. There's a lot of other teams that are gonna be pushing for the fourth place. Um, Wasps, Leicester, I think Leicester will be hugely improved this year again. You know, Wasps, Leicester, Sale. You know, we saw the improvements in them last year. Um, Bath and one. Quinns? Quinns, mate. Quinns the champion team that no one gave a chance to. Um, you know, so... Are you giving them a chance this year? Yeah, 100%. The way they played, and if they can replicate that, but they're going to be there to be shot at, aren't they? 
you know, they had a flash in the pan victory. I think it was 2012 when they won the Premiership and didn't kick on from it, didn't back it up. That's the big thing for them this year, isn't it? You know, it was a bit of a surprise that they won the Premiership to people, but an unbelievable achievement. You know, I think they were 20 points down or something in the semi-final against Bristol's. And it was just a, it was a kind of movie script, wasn't it? That you could you could write and, and, and create a movie out of it. But can they back it up this year? Well, they're not champions because they're shite. They're champions because they played bloody well and they played an expansive game. So they've got every chance. But when you are the top team, as Extra found, it gets harder and harder year on year. Um, and everyone's gunning for you. So everyone will be gunning for Quinns this year because they're the team that won it out of the blue. Let's talk a little bit more about Saracens because obviously... They're back, and you mentioned if they have all their superstars back, they'll be one of the top three big teams. What needs to go right for them? Yeah, I mean, the big thing for them is when you look at them on paper, they've got an unbelievable squad. But it's actually when you look into the detail of how much those boys can play, you're talking about Marrow, you're talking about Mako, Faz, you know, Elliot Daly, the guys that were on that British and Irish Lions tour, and then you factor in how much international rugby there is this year as well. There's the three autumn internationals where the Premiership games, there's Premiership games over those some of those weekends. There's the Six Nations. It's how quickly those guys can flip between international rugby and club rugby, and all they'll need to be is in contention, come sort of April time, March April time, back end of the season. So it's they're going to win games. They're a quality outfit. Whether they've got Manu Vunapola at ten, Alex Goods come back um, from from Japan. He won't be playing international rugby. So Alex Lazowski's coming back from France. You know, he, there's quality players to keep the, that club in and around the top four while all the international boys are away. I think their squad depth will get tested. You know, Earl was a phenomenon last year for Bristol, as was Malins. Yeah, so you reel off some of these names and you've not even really mentioned Itoji and Faz and the rest of them. It's a world-class squad, isn't it? Andrew, I don't know if they're a world-class squad. Look at me. Really, Look at us. Well, I think they're an ageing squad now. Really? So when I look at it and I think about what's happened to the club, the fact that they've lost big Willie, little Willie Skelton, who I think is one of the best players in the world. Swinnow's there, mate. Very true. He was unbelievable in the championship, is all I'm saying. He <laughs> um, was fair play to him. But you've got Alex Good. He's obviously been in Japan. He's not. I wouldn't say he's in his prime anymore. There's talk about Mako Vunapola leaving. If Mako leaves, then I imagine Billy leaves as a package, whether or not that's this season or next season, we can talk about the rumours around that. Obviously, the form that Faz has been in, you know, we don't have a Richard Wigglesworth. And you, and you think about, it's been, obviously, as we know, a year that they've been in the championship. Michael Rhodes has retired. The guys that are coming back that we're talking about, Ben Earl, Nick Azikway, I'm looking at some of the names here, Nick, Nip Tompkins, who did okay at the Dragons, but hasn't really kicked on. You said he'd be a British Lion, didn't you? Oh, a British and Irish Lion, but yeah, it's um, <laughs> I was wrong. And that, I was wrong. But I'm looking at it now. I want Saracens to be good. I think they can make the top four. But when you actually delve deeper into their team and everything that they've been through, I think the only saving grace maybe this year is that they're not in Europe in terms of the the Champions Cup. So Saracens are an interesting one because people, like you've just said there, you, you see them as in the in the top three. I want to see them in the top three and obviously the top four, but it, being in one of them top three or four teams in the league. But I just look at the profile of the team and I'm thinking, actually... They could be in transition here over the next two or three years. And a lot of that will depend on what Mako and Belly decide to do. Do you know what I mean? You, what kind of form is Faz going to be in off the back of, which without speaking for him, only going on base of what we can see, probably the hardest time of his career in terms of his form and, and the pressure and, and the spotlight that's on him. So, you know, you're hoping that Max Malin's the way that he played at Bristol, albeit he's been injured. Um, I don't know whether he's going to be fit for the start of the season. Obviously, Ben Earl was brilliant as well. But whether there's a change of guard in terms of the likes of Quinns. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. And Bristol, you know, an extra maybe evolving on from last season. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward to watching it, Andrew, because I love my ruggers. Do you want to talk more about Mecco and Billy and the rumours around that and where they might be going and what your thoughts are? Have you heard much about this, Andrew? Uh, well, I, I heard a rumour, but then I heard he, he's he's... Papooed it, hasn't he? Post-World Cup, he's gone. He's gone to the highest bidder, hasn't he? I could see him and Billy going to Clermont for like a ridiculous deal, like a, like a, a double whammy, like a duo. Yeah. So I, I don't think they'll leave pre-World Cup. You know, the, the way the laws are written around eligibility for England, we're two years away from a World Cup now. So 
I think they'll both stay at Saracens for the next two years and then they'll cash in as big a deal as they can as a collective in France somewhere where the rugby probably suits them as well and that there's there's mega money still to have there. Can I see him going to Japan? Well, I mean, it's all about money then, isn't it? And coming from me who, you know, I could put my hands in the air, I was t- trying to take as big a deal as possible towards the back end of your career because you don't know how many contracts you've got left and no one should begrudge them for, for looking outside of Saracens. Every player should be doing the best for them and making the best decision for them and their family at the time. And, um, you know, I, I see them both finishing the next two years at Saracens, going to a World Cup. You know, England have still got aspirations to win that and they're part of that uh, that group at the minute, whether Eddie makes big changes or not. And I see them cashing in unless an offer comes in beforehand that they can't resist. Well, let's get some clarity then because, Gertie, you chucked out a few teams of who you thought was going to be in top four. Let's get your top four um, from both of you on uh, who's going to finish in the semi-finals this year. I don't know if Exeter are going to make top four. God, there's a headline there. <laughs> really? Um, I'm going to go Sale. Yeah. Leicester. Oh. Harlequins and Saracens. Maybe not in that really? order. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So no Bristol. Oh gosh. No Exeter. You've just, I mean, you've got, you've been decisive. You've not put Bristol or Exeter in there. If that's decisive, I mean, stick with it, Jim. Yeah, headline: Bristol and Exeter. Jim Hamilton, rugby expert, has said that Bristol <laughs> and Exeter won't make the top four. I put my name to it. Let's see how it unfolds. This is part yeah. of the discussion, isn't it? I don't know. It I think is. Exeter might struggle because of the way that they play, especially in the start of it with the with the new laws around the pick and go. I think Sale, because half the team South African, and I love Alex Anderson. Leicester, I think, are now on the upward curve. Genji, the, the baby rhino, is obviously captain, skips. Freddie Burns, friend of the show, is now there. Jasper Visa, they've got a South African contingent. Uh, Saracens, I think they have got the quality amongst the squad to scrape into the top four. And Harlequins, because they're... <laughs> We're a champion team, you know? So I don't think it's as clear-cut in, in terms of the three best teams that you mentioned earlier. So they are my top four. But what, watch out. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this. Watch out for Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> out of all the teams, if you say who's been yeah. busy in, in pre-season, it's the old Worcester, it's the old Warriors. Now, I can't see yeah. it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll eat, I'll eat my boots. I'll eat my Timberland boots if they finish in the top six. But in terms of players that they've signed, Duan van der Merwe, Obviously, Rory Sutherland, two British and Irish Lions, Willie Hines, Owen Williams. I mean, Owen Williams is a big one, I think. Owen Williams is a big one for him because he's cl- if he's fit, he's class. Exactly. So th- that's just naming four players. And they've been busy in, in the back room. Uh, Johnny Bell as well, who was at Gloucester and then went to Glasgow and then now is at Worcester. So I'm not saying that Worcester will be in the top four. I know we are digressing and we're segueing, but, uh, well, I am anyway. But there's my top four. Mate, all I know is you've said if Worcester get in the top six, you'll eat your Timberland boots. And that was a fact <laughs> that you stated on this podcast. So I will hold you to that, James. For me, I'm going the Bristol Bearbacks. Uh, a lot of pain from losing that semi-final last year. Extra Chiefs, not in any order this. This is just the top four in any order. Saracens, really close between Sale and Leicester. I'm going to go Leicester because it's my old club. Oh. So that's my top four, Jim. There's a few big games on this weekend. Any in particular you guys are looking forward to seeing? Well, obviously the first one. Yeah, Bristol's against Saracens. Um, you think about the Bristol boys, they must have had a brutal off-season and a brutal pre-season because when you're 15, 20 points up or whatever they were in that semi-final against Quinns and then you lose it, there's a lot of pain there, isn't there? And then for the Saris boys, I know they went over to Ulster and won, but they got hosed. Last week, didn't they, by Ulster as well, down at the HAC. There's a lot of eyes on Saracens to see how quickly they bounce back to be a team at the top end of the table. So it's, a, it's an amazing game to start off with. A lot of hurt from Bristol. Saracens with a point, a point to prove around them being back at the, the sort of top table. So uh, that's a huge game to watch out for. Leicester-Exeter, because Leicester at home, back at Welford Road. It's not called Welford Road anymore, is it? They've got a new name. Matoli Woods. Welford Road, isn't it? Basically, it's Welford Road. Look, mate, you know, two Tigers legends on it. Just, well, we'll know it as Welford Road. Uh, well, it was called that on a Monday night under the lights anyway. We used to call it Welford Road. <laughs> um, but for me, Leicester are the big one because we followed them last season, the changes that they've had at that club. Uh, they've changed everything. So Leicester, Exeter, Gloucester, obviously at Northampton. Gloucester have got a tough start. Obviously, Northampton first up and then 
a six-day turnaround. They play Leicester at home. So Gloucester, another interesting club, struggled last year, loads of changes. They've got two tough games up front, but I love the Prem. Like, this is the thing, every game's a big game. There's no relegation this year, so I don't know how that's all going to unfold. And Well, that's the thing, there's no relegation this year, Jim, but someone's got to finish bottom. So we might as well say it now. I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw and it let's out say, Let's say at the same time, let's go at the same time. Okay. One, two, three, Wasps. Gloucester. Oh, <laughs> Wasps, you dreaming, man. <laughs> you think Gloucester? Yeah, Gloucester, mate. So, I think it'll be between Gloucester and Falcons and Worcester, but Worcester have made some decent signings. If they gel, they'll be all right. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm going Gloucester. I just think they're, they've lost some players. They're in a transition period, haven't they? They haven't really made massive signings. Could be tough. So you're going Gloucester. I'm going to put my hat in the ring. Oh, gosh, there's the biscuit. And say, oh, f- no, I forget it. Worcester. Mate, you just said they might make top six and you'll eat your boot if they do. <laughs> Mate, your mind up, son. <laughs> well, we can take a break from the Premiership now and speak to Scotland's British and Irish Lions star, Finn Russell. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Finn, we were going to say how was your holiday because looking at your Instagram, I think you were somewhere hot, but looking at your face now, I don't think... You've been to, have you been to Iceland on holiday? <laughs> What's up with you? <laughs> I've been back for two weeks now, so the weather in Paris isn't quite the same as Mykonos but obviously we're going to talk about the Lions in South Africa where it was slightly different but how is your kind of mental state your love affair with rugby there's loads of stuff loads of rumours we've been seeing you in Aston Martins driving around Edinburgh there's talk of you fluent in Japan now there's a million reasons why you would be how, how is things with Finn Russell? Yeah, it's all good mate um, I think I'll be back playing this week you know you get four weeks off which is good to get time off obviously it was a, a long season and then we're with the Lions, we're, we're, what, we're in camp for seven weeks, so good to get some time off just to kind of forget about rugby for a while. Towards the end of that, you start sort of, know, you know you're coming back in, so you kind of start to get ready for it like a week before you're back in. So I thought I was going to be playing last weekend. They say over here you got through 10 days kind of compulsory training before you're back able to play after holidays. So um, I didn't know that at the time, so I went in in the fourth week and did a couple of running sessions thinking I was back playing the next week, but I wanted to find out I wasn't, so... Never a waste of time. <laughs> and as a player that's obviously been on a, a horrendously long season, but an unbelievable season last year and culminating in that last game for the Lions, we'll come on to that in a minute. How loose can you get in those sort of three or four weeks off that you get? Because I used to go as hard as I could. Uh, obviously, we've seen the Instagram pictures you were away in Mykonos with uh, Chris Harris um, as well, and there was a bit of a celebration there. Did you, did you properly let your hair down? I mean, I know there's not much hair on top of your head, but did you properly let yourself go? <laughs> Yeah, I like to kind of just sort of, I suppose, go and party a little bit. And, you, you know, you've got to kind of forget about rugby and get away from it, get a bit of headspace from it. You know, everyone will do that in a different way. Um, I think the first week that we were there in Mykonos, there was a few other, a few Irish boys there as well. So I had a few nights with them. And then, like you say, Chris Harris came over on a Saturday. So caught up with them a few nights. So um, the first week was good fun. And then the second week was, was more chilled, which was probably quite good. So I came back feeling, feeling pretty good. And then, Last weekend, I was back in Scotland for a couple of days, seeing family and friends, um, which was good fun. Finn, what's it like in, in Mykonos? I was at Ben Nevis with Andy Rowe. We were just talking about it humbly before. I'm getting stopped every three minutes for photos. Now, we got up there in two hours 20. If I didn't get, kept getting stopped, I would have got, got up there in an hour and 15. Are you getting absolutely <laughs> mobbed in Mykonos or not? Or is it just me at Ben Nevis, humbly? Just, I think just you at Ben Nevis. Um, there's, only, there's only one night, I think, that... Someone was chatting to us, and that's when we were out with the Irish boys as well. But what about when you come back to Scotland, though? So when you're driving around in the Aston Martin, let's talk about it humbly now in terms of your profile. <laughs> is it weird now? Because I know you're over in Paris, you've had a change in focus, and you can obviously hide away over there in the Moulin Rouge or wherever it is. But when you come back to Scotland, is there an element now of, you know, the Prince of Scotland, me being the King of Scotland, has arrived kind of thing? Well, when I was back, so um, like I said, I got a car from Aston Martin for the weekend when I was back, which was great. But being back, you end up having to just catch, not end up, you, you sort of catch up with a lot of people when you're there. So there's not much time actually to, to be in places. I, I took a house out by North Berwick in Gullenway, um for the Friday and Saturday for my family and friends. So I didn't really see too many people. I wasn't, and there was only one restaurant, I think, the whole time I was there. Um, apart from that, it was just at the house. Like, Thursday night, I went for dinner um, in Glasgow and a guy was chatting to me and just, 
he's like, you're a legend, you're a legend, and then started giving me a hard time for a kick I did in one of the in the final test. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was having my dinner, and this guy was like well underway, and I was kind of like, right, like, thanks, mate, cheers. And, oh yeah, I should have done it differently. Thanks for telling me. I'll know that next time. Are you making me sound like a right dickhead then to talk to myself? <laughs> I'm going to Ben Nevis, aren't you? When you're humbly saying it happened to you one night, never mind. Now the other two days, because I was out in Gullen, so we got golf, and then just had dinner in the house, so it was pretty chilled. Um, but good fun with the family and friends. Nice, mate. It's always good to relax. Well, let's hit, hit you with the big questions then. Go back to the Lions tour. An interesting tour, very different to, to what everyone's used to. You know, you guys, it must have been incredibly difficult at times to be kind of locked down the way you were in the hotel complex. And we spoke to a few of the lads while they were out there. But for you as well, being injured and, and, and then coming back for that unbelievable performance in the last test, just sum everything up for us because, you know, there were so many highs, but also a few lows as well with the injury and then... Your amazing performance in that last test must be tinged with a little bit of regret because ended up losing the game. Yeah, um, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed being in camp with the boys and getting to know them all. Like you, you, like you know yourself, you, you know quite a few of the boys from playing against them a little bit. And I was there for a, for a wee while in the last tour, so I knew, I knew a few of them. But it's good being there for the whole time to actually get to properly know them. Um, although for me, like, I think the first week is when I actually got injured and we just thought it was about tendonitis from Achilles. But then it was only after the the Lions game and the, the midweek game that everyone had like we had to change the whole team for COVID. Um, it was only two days after that that, that they scanned it and realised I'd torn my Achilles. So for me, it was kind of a bit frustrating because the you know the first couple of weeks I was kind of not being able to go full on and hundred percent and training training in the games and then that the Lions second game they called me at ten to six being like can you play and at this point I hadn't trained all week and I wasn't playing so I was staying in the hotel. And I was like, yeah, sure, if you need me, I can play. And they're like, right, 10 minutes, get ready, you were on the bus in 10. <laughs> I was like, I was lying in bed watching telly, think I can just watch it no hotel room and chill. So that, that was like, it was obviously different things like that. You know, if, uh, we had to be ready to adapt for anything. If, uh, you know, if someone got a case of COVID or anything like that happened, we had to be ready to adapt. But um, when we moved into Cape Town, it was pretty good at the hotel. We had a golf course there. So like I was saying, I, I wasn't playing because I was injured. Um, so we were able to get out in the golf course and days off the non-23 and have a hit. So... It kind of kept us busy, even like instead of having to just been stuck in the hotel and kind of mulling over everything. If you weren't in the in the team on days off or afternoons off, we're able to get out and have a have a game of golf and just kind of have a laugh at non twenty three, which is pretty good. How was it watching those games, and also, you know, what was your sort of thoughts on like because tactics wise, you're quite a uh, exciting player, known for your flair, if you like. But how was it watching the Lions and the Springboks play because the styles were kind of. It was all very physical, wasn't it? Yeah, I think first test we kind of we spoke a little bit about how how we could sort of test their fitness and come and kind of get them second half. You know, we played the A game a week before it, I think, um, and second half we'd scored quite a few points against them. Um, so first test we kind of thought if we're in the game at half time, we should be able to to get one up on them or get a few points against them. Second half and they tire out, which happened in the first test and then second test. I think we, we probably thought the same and. They came out really strong in the second half, which we almost weren't expecting. But yeah, I think it was both both teams kind of played a similar game of, uh, of almost just sort of kicking a lot and trying to pressurise other teams through the, the kicking battle and territory. So in the stand, like, I, I would have played differently, but the strategy that we put in place for, for those two games, um, which was to kind of try and press them through the, the aerial battle and, and win that. And then if we managed to win that, we should be able to win the games. Um, which, like I said, worked in the first game, but just, just not in the second game. You clearly came on in that third test and, you know, it seemed, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed the tactics in that third test before you came on were very similar to test one and test two. And you've come on and just, you know, changed things da, and played da, the way Finn plays. Da, da, da. Life is life. <laughs> la, 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 la. And that's the thing though, like you're coming on and everyone is, you know, while everyone was pretty disappointed for Dan Bigger to come off injured, everyone's absolutely buzzing because you're coming on and it's, yeah, a real change in mindset. And that's nothing against Dan Bigger at all. But, you know, Finn comes on, the Lambo's there, the Aston Martin's coming with him as well, and the ball is just going to get pinged around all over the place. And that's me as a fan now, having, you know, seen you play and, and played against you and all this stuff. But I, I, did you just rip up the script and go, we're just going to play what we see? Or was it a case of, actually, we were going to play that way anyway? And just to piggyback that as well, Finn, just maybe answer both, because that's a great question by Goody. But what were you nervous as well coming on? Because... There was all the talk in the media, you know, get Finn out, get Finn out for the third test. So there must have been a lot of pressure on you as well. Do you, do you know what I mean? Knowing you're going to be on the bench, knowing that Biggs was injured, there'd be a chance you could get on early. So 
like just piggybacking Goody's question as well, is how you how did you feel stood at the side of the pitch about to go on early, knowing how the game was going to then getting an early touch how you did and the game just opened up? On both the questions, I mean, the, set, the third test, sort of, we kind of decided to change the game plan and <clears throat> we said, like, we're going to play off nine, then off ten, and then look to go wide and actually play a more expansive game. Instead of the first two games, which is play off nine, first two phases, then, I don't know, try and go wide, I suppose. But after that, it's hard to go wide because it's so narrow. Um, so for the third test, we'd actually decided um, that we're going to start, we're going to actually have a go and play against them and try and spin the ball wide, which, you know, suits me. And I was just kind of excited to pit, or when they named the team, I wasn't sure if I was going to be in it or not because I'd been injured for the last three weeks or so. And then, yeah, but I was just kind of chilled. I was like, you know, if I get on for 10 minutes, get on for 20 minutes, I'll just see how the game's going and just kind of input or play the whatever I think's best for that, 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 um, the scenarios in the game. If, you know, if we're ahead or if we're down or whatever we have to do. Um, you know, I wasn't expecting to get on after 10 minutes. And even when, when Biggs went down, I was just at the side chilling, thinking, no, you'll get back up. It's 10 minutes. You've got a sore shin, but it's fine. And the boy, I remember Bobby was like, Finn, get ready. He's, he's down. He might be coming off. And I was like, you'll be fine. Don't worry. So I was just kind of drinking away some Red Bull, having, having a drink from my Red Bull, thinking he'll be fine. He'll be up. And then he went got up and went back down again. I was like, oh, he's going to come off you, doesn't he? So I was like, I better stand up and kind of shake a leg a little bit. <laughs> I act like I'm getting ready. <laughs> and then sure enough, I was up to kind of just shaking my legs a little bit, still drinking my Red Bull. And then... <laughs> and then Bobby goes, Finn, you're on. And I'm like, oh, here we go then. So I was fine. I was like dead chilled. And like for me, it was the way that we planned to play that play that third test was to hold the ball and actually have a go at them. So I wasn't nervous. I wasn't, I didn't feel under pressure. I was like, just go out there and play the game and, and have a real crack at them. You know, I'd seen things during the week and during the first two tests of how we can take them on and how we can score tries against them. Um, so I just kind of went on there, kind of knowing what, how I wanted to play the game. and. And I remember in that third test when I came on, the first penalty we got, I kicked about 10 metres down, 10 metres down the pitch, and it was like a rubbish kick. And I turned to Ali Price and just kind of made it, like, sort of started laughing to him. And he was kind of like, oh, no, not one of these games sort of thing. <laughs> and I was just sort of laughing at him, like, Oof. let's see how this goes then. But no, it was, um, I don't know, I had just kind of had fun out there and, you know, it was, it was not a great experience for me, but I kind of just, yeah, went out and had a bit of fun. Yeah. It looked like you did. Um, I want to just ask about uh, the Razi Erasmus stuff. I know we're going over old ground here, but there's still a lot of talk about it in the media. And actually, I won't say who I spoke to, but there was a couple of people that were involved in the Lions uh, camp that said they were affected, but or they felt that the referees were affected by Razi Erasmus's stuff after the first test. And you'd think that people, coaches and players, wouldn't watch or listen to the media, but they clearly do. You know, we were having a right old laugh about it here. I quite enjoyed the drama, of course. We, we do a podcast, so we, we we love all that kind of stuff. But as players in the camp, we, did you see all this stuff stuff unfolding? Could, did you see it kind of blow up in the media? Did, did people in the camp think that the referees were affected by everything that went on with Razzie? Yeah, like, of course we saw most of it. Um, for me, I wasn't playing, obviously, so it didn't, didn't really affect me. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's quite smart by him sort of taking the. the the focus away from all the players after them getting beaten in the first test. If he takes the focus away from them all by doing stuff like that, which then maybe lets the play, their, his own players kind of prepare and get ready for the game without the the pressure being on them or the focus being on them that week. Um, I'm not sure. So maybe you know it's maybe a tactic by him to try and help his own players out and like you say maybe just kind of throw a cat amongst the pigeons and the lines in the, in, the, in our camp. So yeah, I'd, like I say for me, I, I wasn't playing in either of the first two games, so I didn't I didn't really think much of it. Um, but you know, for for certain players, if it might have a you know might have an impact on them, whether it's in the scrum or the drive or, or whatever it is. Uh, like I said, for me, I, I didn't really. I was kind of laughing at the, the tweets and stuff. <laughs> I didn't really think much of it. One of the things I want to ask you about Marcus Smith, who came on the tour um, towards the back end of it. Obviously, you know, not a replacement for you, but part of your injury. Um, we've been blowing smoke up his ass on, on this podcast for a long time now because he's a quality operator, not only when he burst onto the scene sort of talent-wise, but now in terms of his maturity as a 10. And he, I think he's only still about 14 as well, looking by his beard. But I can just imagine you two at training, practicing little skills together and messing around and just enjoying life and all that stuff. How was he on the tour? Was he like a, a young kid coming through or was he someone that really rose to the occasion amongst all the big names? No, I think he definitely rose to the occasion. Um, I've I've known I know Marcus the past year and a bit now, because um, I sort of spoke to him a little bit when he was 
was wasn't in the England squad and stuff. And I think at Harlequins it was quite tough for him um, before they came good, obviously. So I've I've spoken to him quite a lot. Then when he came on tour, and I, I was I just kind of had a laugh with him. We got we got on really well. Um, I think he's still on holiday now. He's, I think he got about ten weeks off after it. Finn, what do you mean you spoke to him? So as in, did he reach out to you, or how did that work? No, we've got the same agent. Um, I think just with the, the game plan that Harlequins had in place, it kind of wasn't him, and he was sort of not. I suppose maybe not as happy as he could be there, not playing as well as he could. Just as he was felt, I suppose he was a bit kind of his hands were tied through the for the attack and stuff. Um, and with us having the same agents, my agents had a bit of a chat with them, and I was like, yeah, no bother. So um, just spoke to him a little bit about how uh, if I've had issues with coaches um, or kind of game plans or anything, how 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 I kind of dealt with it or what what I thought you should do and stuff. Um, nothing too much, just like because I kind of mate sort of chatting to him, and you know, a little bit more experienced than him, so just try to help him on his way. Um, and then also we pulled him in the the Heineken Cup last season, so. Got to go against them um, and then caught up with them during the game and stuff. So, yeah. but every now and then we'll just text. And then again during the, the tour, we you know got really close. Neither of us were sort of playing in the tests, and we had um, you know a few free nights and stuff and rounds of the golf. I think I actually took them for a bit of cash in the golf course quite easily. But guess that hey, your agent must be pretty happy at the minute. Eh? He's got the the brightest young talent in England coming through at ten. And as we know, ten's the money position. And then he's got Finn just naming his price in Japan, in Paris, wherever he wants. So you obviously can't comment on that. But um, you, uh, Marcus Smith, now would you, if you're part of the fact that you're Scottish and you're, you know, Scotland's sort of best player, number 10, all this stuff, would you have Marcus Smith starting at 10 for England come the autumn now? Because to me, his form dictates he should be. Yeah, I think it depends how Eddie wants to play. That's the thing. You know, if he wants to actually play to attack and have a go, definitely Marcus Smith. He can also control the game, but if he's going to just kick the ball in there and, and play that sort of style of rugby, then I could see him going with, with Ford, who's, who's more experienced and, and plays that sort of style of rugby quite often and has done it for, for years with England. Um, personally, for me, I'd, I'd go with Marcus. Um, you know, he's got that X factor. He can create things from nothing. You know, his goal kicking is great. And, you know, actually, all his kicking is great, uh, really good. So I think it's just as a... I don't know, people might think he's just all about attack, attack, attack. But then, again, working with him in the lines and getting to know him, he's got a really good brain for rugby. So... I think it's just everyone sees him as this bright spark coming through for attack because he does, you know, a hitch kicking does someone on the outside, but his actual um, knowledge of the game is really good for a very young player. Um, so, yeah, for me, I, I'd definitely start him. But again, it, it, it then obviously depends like I said, how Eddie wants to play and who he's going to have outside him. You know, if you had Marcus and Faz playing there, then, you know, you've got a 10, 10 and 12 that can ball play, can kick. And if you wanted to go into that kicking game, then you, you've got Faz to help out there if he needs to, you know, get a shift at one pass and kick it or Marcus can do it all, you know. Um, I think they've got they can get a great combination there. Definitely. Let's just pick your brains a little bit, uh, Finn. The, the the new law coming around the fifty twenty two kick. Um, does that excite you? Do you think it's something that will help the attacking team because the defensive team have got to cover the backfield a bit more, maybe? Yeah, I think especially first phase um, off scrums and and lineouts. You know, they're going to have to drop two players back every every time from kind of thirty meters out from the opposition line. Um, in case of that fifty twenty two. Um, off turnovers are, I'd imagine, there'll be more space as well because teams, if once they turn over, they'll have to try and race back to get to cover the 50 22. Therefore, leaving a little bit of space in front of you, you know, generally 10 and 15 will drop back. But if people start overthinking it, and then there could be other space and turnovers or, or counter attack and stuff. Um, but also, like, at the same time, on turnovers and counter attack, then teams are going to start looking for that 50 22. So it could be a way to quickly make yards off any turnover, you know. If, so we win a line out and they've got their whole back line flat. Get the ball to 10, he can look as on to put the kick in the corner for the, the 50-22 or say, I can say their full back rushes back and their winger flies back, then there'll be space in the width. So, um, and I'll, again, just going back to the Faz and Marcus thing, um, if you've got a 10, 12, 15 that can all kick the ball, if you do one pass, two pass, then the full back's going to have to stay back um, if the opposition are in their half because they can't come up if you've got a 10, 12, 15 that can all kick the ball. Um, you know, and then Chuck Slade in there as a left footer going the other side. Uh, I think ha- having having guys who are ball players but can kick it as well will be be maybe you know a thing that we'll start seeing going forward. So it kind of forces the the ten and fifteen to hold the backfield and creating space on the outside for others. 10, 12, 15, kickers the balls. Uh, talking of numbers, it's all a bit confusing. Talking of numbers, Finn. 
Goody didn't want to ask the question, but I'm going to ask it. Japan, yes or no? Million pounds, million dollars, million yen. I don't know what works out better. A million yen is not working out. <laughs> a million or something, anyway, which sounds a lot. What what were the chances? Was the opportunity there? Was it just a rumour? Have you got appetite to do that? Are you ho- holding Rassin over a barrel? What's happening? No, I got in contact with my agent and stuff, so uh, they're chatting about it. But uh, for me, I, I want to stay at Rassin. Um, you know, it's a great club and I love being here in Paris. So I've got this season and next. So I think, you know, the only way that I would go would be if it was kind of football and money, you know. Start paying me what Messi gets paid and I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were more than that already, son. <laughs> That's what we reckon anyway. Last question, Finn. I've got to ask you one more thing. Um, a bit of magic you produced against Munster uh, in the Champions Cup not so long ago. Now, we all know you put the grubber kick through. Did you mean to go for the nutmeg? Because that's all I need to know, because that was absolute class. Was the nutmeg a lucky bonus? I know you're trying to see the space behind, but I reckon you've megged him deliberately and absolutely mugged him off. It's, it's one of these things in, the, in my head when I got up, I wasn't thinking I'm going to nutmeg this guy, you know, but then as he saw me shaping for the kick, he obviously throws a leg out. And he, again, it wasn't like I del- oh, there he's throwing a leg out, I need to put it through his legs. It's just like, that's the best space to go for it. So, um, you know, if I'd have gone to the left, I'd have probably stopped it with his feet. Um, I did do it, yeah, I think the World Cup 2015 to uh, to the physio, Stephen Much did it. Him in a training session, I was coming back from an ankle injury. Um, he didn't fall over though after it. Um, <laughs> don't mention no, the 2015 <laughs> World Cup. Jim gets very angry about that, don't you, Jim? Yeah. yeah I, I was going to say, did like you remember that, Jim? But... <laughs> no, no, I can't remember that. Two-step lob, mate. Hey, hey two-step lob. You wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. We'd be in Scottish folklore history. But anyway, we are. We're six years in now. People are sick of hearing about the World Cup. All right, Finn. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. Great stuff in South Africa, and best of luck in the in France this year, mate. Thank you. Cheers, Finn. Cheers, Finn. Good on you, buddy. Good. Thanks for coming on, legend. No worries at all. Thanks, mate. Appreciate about. it, pal. Cheers, see ya. Top bloke. Top bloke. Yeah, absolute hero of a bloke, isn't he? Imagine just being as laid back as he is, but as good as he is, Jim. You, I mean, your skill set was was pretty average for a second row anyway, but like he says he doesn't feel pressure, doesn't get nervous. He's just loving his life, isn't he? And every reason Gifted. to, on a million euros a year, and playing the way he does, fair play to him. Driving Lambos, driving Astons. What a bloke, what a player. Gifted, Andrew. As you know, from a fly half perspective, and he's one of them guys you can't help but like him. Do you know what I mean? Looks like a bag of sick. And he, <laughs> it's just, you know, as a rugby player, I say that obviously uh, joking. He, he trains very hard. He's, uh, again, without speaking for him, but knowing Finn and watching his evolution over, over the years, over our six years on the podcast, do you know what I mean? We've spoken about it. We've had him on a few times. Is There's a part of him now where he realizes that it's business now. And as much as he smiles and he, he does whatever on the pitch, you saw that third test for the Lions. Let's pretend we won the game. Um, that it, it means business. It means a lot to him. You look how he plays at Racing. You look how he's played for Scotland. The evolution in that, in terms of his leadership, the fact that he chatted to Marcus Smith. People wouldn't know these things. You know what I mean? In terms of Finn Russell being able to have the ability to do that. So love the bloke. Class to have him on first episode of season six. And uh, and yeah, can't wait to see how, see where he goes with it. Mate, his agent. He's making a hell of a lot of cash out of him and Marcus Smith for the next few years, isn't he? So fair play. Right, so every season we've had a couple of non-rugby-related segments to mix things up, like the classic Riddle Me This and Japan Through Jim's Japs Eye. So we've got another one for you this season. This one's called Guess the Goat. Andy Goode. Not on this occasion. And we're going to run a challenge each week and we'll keep score. Whoever gets to six points first wins. The loser will have to roll the dice at the Christmas party and do a forfeit. This week, it's a play on 20 questions. Basically, I have a sports star in my mind and you can ask as many yes or no questions in 30 seconds. It can be current or a retired star and you've got to try and guess the person in my mind. So, Jim, you're going to go first. You're going to have as many questions as you want, yes or no questions, and you're going to have 30 seconds. I'll answer yes or no to your answers, and you've got to try and guess who I'm thinking of. Okay. 
Right. Okay. Uh, and it's only yes or it's only yes or no. Okay. And it's called Guess the Goat. Can I change it to Guess the Goat or not? Because that's what I'd always thought it was until someone said it's the goat. That's why the emoji was the goat. Yeah, Guess the Goat. I had no idea. I thought it was the Goat. Guess the Goat. Yeah. It's Guess the Goat. Okay. And you're ready? Your time starts now. Is it a boy? No. NBA? No. Football? No. Tennis? Yes. The woman who won the US Open, the young girl, 18 years old, Emily something. Fuck. Oh, no. Yes or it's no? Not- oh, no. No. Serena Williams? No. Venus Williams? No. Tim Edmonds' mum? No. <laughs> Andy Murray's mum? No. Judy Murray? No. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, the, the lady with short hair, Sue Barker? No. She tells. <laughs> oh, I get a guess now. I get a guess. Okay, good. Take gets the point. Guess. Emma Raducanu. That's correct. Oh, that's what I said the woman who won it. I forgot her name. You have to know her name, mate. You have to know her what name. What did I say? You How could did, Emily. I I Emily. You said Emily. Oh. You said Emily. <laughs> I, I meant I meant Emma. I meant Emma. <laughs> arguably, arguably though, like in in defence of myself, because she could go on to be a go at. She is not the go at. Albeit eighteen years old to win the U.S. Open, mm. she looks like an Emma. What did I say she was? Emily. Emily, yeah. Yeah, she looks like an Emily. And God, <laughs> how did I not get that? It's pressure. My, it is pressure. You wouldn't realise until you get there, Andrew, that 30 seconds, it goes quick. Your mind starts playing tricks on you. I know, I get it. Because as soon I'm shaking my head. As soon as he said, you've said tennis and he said yes, I'm like, it's obvious. Anyone that's lived over the last three days and seen any social media or any TV or... You must have been with your head in a cave somewhere jim to not know she's been everywhere legend i know she has i know she has and i even like to tweet and i'm sorry for that it's the it's got nothing to do with me not knowing emma it's to do with the pressure of 30 seconds (laughs) emily yes it's to do with me not knowing emily did sue barker play tennis yes there we go. See, I know my tennis. Uh, did Tim Edmund's mum play tennis or not? <laughs> I'll be under pressure next week because it is a different, like, honestly, I'm relaxed there listening to it and reacting and it's fucking easy. As soon as you said tennis, I'm like, it's got to be that woman. Whereas I guarantee if I'd have done the same thing, I'd have been panicking. The panic, it's the panic that gets you in it. It is, yeah. I mean, who says Sue Barker, really? I mean, she got... <laughs> There's a bit of rugby going on overseas in, in Australia over the weekend with the rugby championship. Did you watch the Springboks Australian game? My goodness. Quay Cooper. Quay Cooper. Eight from eight. Yeah. That's the difference, right? And there's been some stories, aren't there, over the weekend around sports. So Emma Raducanu, Jim, that's the lady tennis player that won the US Women's Open. Uh, obviously, Ronaldo back at Man United scoring a couple. Um, but the big story in rugby, obviously, Quay Cooper coming back into the Australian fold, and he's been in the squad over the last couple of weeks, but gets the start at ten. Um, man of the match performance, eight from eight, slots the the winner with a clutch kick. It was kind of weird for Quay Cooper because it wasn't a Quay Cooper esque performance that we're all used to seeing with the bit, the balls around the back, the razzle dazzle, all that stuff. It was everything that you probably wanted Quay Cooper to do at times in an Australian jersey when he's trying to do all the flash stuff back in the day. He's playing against the Springboks. He's kicked all his goals. He's controlled the game. Kicking out hand was great at times. It was kind of an un-Quay Cooper-like performance, but the perfect performance coming back into a team at 10 that needed some direction and has been on the uh, you know, the, the back end of a fair few defeats over the last sort of few months or whatever. And it was brilliant. Brilliant to see the, the clutch kick. How big are your spuds? Well, he's got massive spuds to slot that, knowing the whole world is looking at him. And especially after the Australian government wouldn't give him a residency and a passport over the last couple of weeks as well so it's quite an interesting story isn't it so he's actually a kiwi yeah well there you go he's actually a kiwi but he's also he he must be into not weird meditation and that stuff basically i'm saying he's speaking in code i read his instagram or his twitter and he's obviously changed not that he weren't humble before but i'm thinking rock and roll lifestyle is living the dream which he obviously is and then he's writing stuff like over time i've come to see that success is in the daily not in the single moment Although it feels great. A new day is already here. I don't get it. <laughs> He's a philosopher, Jim. He's basically saying it's not just about that one moment. It's about every day, James. And it was a new, when he wrote it, it was a new day. So we've woken up 
and they've already gone to bed and they're up again. And that's why it's a new day so for him to win the day. day. Win the day. Oh, Seize okay. the day. Win the day. Own the moment. Own the moment. Own it. <laughs> Own the moment. It's like my speech. It's like my speech in the Gloucester Change oh, Room. That's fucking Bristol in there. <laughs> yeah, it's good to say. And they're it. about 50. They're about 60. That's fucking Bristol. Very similar to Quake Cooper. Yeah, it's good to see because Australia, we, you know, everyone wants a competitive Australia team and it was getting to a point where it wasn't a great outfit to look at in terms of competitiveness, was it? Especially when they're coming over to play England in November. So, um, yeah, brilliant for the Aussies. In other news, what do you guys make of the new World 12s concept? It was launched last week. Shite. Do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sound harsh. I mean, look, I'm going to sound harsh. At what point, and again, you've got to think the people involved in this are high up the rugby echelons up the tree in terms of what they've done. Steve Chu, Ian Ritchie, Hanson, as in three massive names. And without being horrible to, was it Ian Ritchie who was holding the rugby ball in, in terms of the promotion when no one signed off these games? I don't know if anyone needs to sign off the games if it's playing professionally they're throwing stuff out like the top players in the world who's getting the top players in the world in the global calendar that we've got now you need to listen to rob baxter's three lines that he got quizzed on about it literally a day after it got released now i don't want to be horrible i don't want to piss on someone's fire i mean it could be an unbelievable fire and i hope it is an unbelievable fire we have got bigger things to worry about in rugby before we add in a new tournament with some rich guys that have decided to invest and think it's a great idea and then start throwing out tweets like, oh, we've had we've been approached left, right and centre uh, for, for sponsorship and commercial partners. Mate, at the minute, rugby's got a lot to worry about before we start launching a World 12s tournament in August, right, where we were just chatting about on the podcast the, and, and Finn mentioned it about Marcus Smith being on holiday and having 10 weeks off and you know, I was, I was chatting to the Tarry about Jamie George, you know, having to have an enforced rest, even though he's not played. He's been on tour. I think there's too many games for players anyway. Now, I'm going based on what they're saying about having the best players in the world. The, these best players in the world, Semi Randra, he's going to be playing for Bristol's. Do you know what I mean? Owen Farrell's going to be playing at Saracens. You know, Danny Cipriani's going to be playing at Bath. I know, these, you know, we're talking about premiership players. Quay Cooper is now going to be playing for Australia. And he's going to get picked up by a team in Japan. Bowden Barrett, is he going to be playing? I don't know. Brody Rutanik, is he going to be playing? So I, I just, I, 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 it came at a very weird time for me, out of nowhere. So I hope that I'm wrong. I've pissed on the fire. What I say doesn't matter. So it's just my opinion. Well, it does matter because it's our podcast, Jim. When you've pissed on the fire, is it, is it really dehydrated piss, like the real smelly yellow stuff, or is it clear because you've been hydrated because you've been it depends. nervous? Pre or post Ibiza, I don't know. Just tell me which one. But either way, either way, I'm putting it out, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think the frustrating thing about it is some of the boys that have come out and are behind it. So Gareth Davis, former Welsh chairman, Ian Ritchie, obviously chairman of the RFU, they're all the ones moaning when they're in the jobs about the global calendar. Steve Hansen, when he was head coach of the All Blacks, always talking about a global season, player welfare. And I get this thing of you know and it's difficult for the players you chuck 200 grand in front of a player for a three-week tournament he's going to want to play but he doesn't care about his own player welfare then someone needs to control the fact that these guys are all contracted as Jim said Randrandra to Bristol everyone's contracted to a club so there's then an insurance issue as well you know who's going to insure everyone and it's all very well saying we're going to generate 150 million or whatever the number was pie in the sky number rugby's hemorrhaging money at the minute over the last few years and you know, the only things that really make money, I think, are the World Cups at the minute, as things stand. And every union is struggling financially now because of the pandemic and they want to get back to bouncing on their feet as quickly as possible with full stadiums to try and cover some of the losses. And when you talk about play, player welfare is the ultimate thing, isn't it? Everyone bangs on about it. Where you fit in this into the global calendar? Well, if you're doing it in August, that's when the Rugby Championship is. So how do you change that? And all the players are contracted to either a union or a club, or in some cases both. And um, it's you know I, I don't see how it can fit in. It's a surely it's a pie in the, the sky idea where you've got some guys that have got a bit of time on their hands because they're not involved with rugby anymore. They've seen something like the hundred in cricket, um, 
that they've tried to spruce up and spice up and we've got the sevens as an alternative. Twelves, what's twelves? It's, you know, five more than sevens, Jim, for a bit of maths there. But it's, you know, if you want excitement, pump a load of money into the sevens and let's build that up and let's keep the game separate because we're just trying to blend something and change something for the sake of it and think there's a load of money going to come from it when I don't believe there is. All right, let's finish things off with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, let's let's talk about uh, French rugby then. Thomas Ramos uh, scored a hell of a try in 16 points in Toulouse's 41-10 win over Toulon in the Cheslin-Colby derby uh, the weekend. Cast, they get a mention in the good, not only on the way to the game, and I hope people have seen this, a load of the big lads got out of the bus because there was a car blocking the way. And there's about six or seven of the big lads have gone out of the bus as he's trying to turn a sharp bend, picked the car up, slammed it on the curb so the bus could get round, just got back on the bus and off they went to the game. Uh, and to top that, they go to Claremont and win 34-30. Uh, so a big tip of the slipper to the cast boys. Uh, some big news for all Wales fans. Uh, Gareth Anscombe finally made his return from injury for the Ospreys against Northampton after being out for two years since that horrific knee injury uh, at Twickenham, August 2019. So great to see him back. We've had him on the pod. He's a cracking bloke and he's been through hell and back to get back fit. So, um, yeah, good news for all Welsh fans with Gareth Hanscom back fit. Um, let's go over to the USA. USA, USA. Uh, they beat Canada 38-16 to overturn a 13-point deficit from the first leg and winning 59-50 over the two legs to move a step closer to qualifying for the 2023 World Cup. So tip the slipper to the USA boys. They now play Uruguay next month to try and qualify. We'll go over to the Southern Hemisphere, Andy Rowe. The All Blacks, it was about their second or third team, wasn't it? Yeah, the second team. They made a few changes. They put their second best fly off at fly off in Bowden Barrett and he played like the best fly off in the world. Talk to me about the offload after he's made that break. Oh, to Absolutely Luke Jacobson. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. How good is he as well, Luke Jacobson? Quality number eight. Nickname is Shoulders, obviously, because he loves to put the hits in. Oh, you lads, eh? I get it. You lads are oh, just straight banter. Shoulders yeah. like boulders. <laughs> yeah. Because they're big. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Uh, anyway, going back to New Zealand, a stunning performance by them and Bowden Barrett back in the 10 jersey. We're going to mention an Englishman, though, over in the Southern Hemisphere. Friend of the show. Friend of mine. We message a little bit on Instagram and WhatsApp. Uh, but Luke Pierce, I thought his performance as referee uh, in the Australia versus South Africa game was exemplary. Um, worked quickly with Matt Carley as the TMO. I thought they did really well together. So uh, tip the slipper to Luke Pierce. Uh, but the good this week can only go to one place. One team, one player, one man. Quade Cooper, 23 points in total. Kicked eight from eight on his comeback, including the winning penalty with the last kick of the game as Australia beat the champions, Springboks, the world champions, 28-26 in Australia. There's been loads of negativity around them recently, uh, but they've just beaten the world champions and the team that dusted the Lions. Um, so great news for Australian rugby. They've needed it. The return of national leagues uh, and leagues lower down the pyramid in the last couple of weeks as well is great to see. So um, good on Australia. The good this week goes to Quade Cooper. The bad. Uh, a few bits of bad, to be honest. Claremont losing at home. We mentioned it earlier to Cast. Doesn't happen often at the Stade Marcel Michelin. Didn't see it. Um, you didn't see it, James. No, but they did lose 34-30. Um, what else was bad? Andre Pollard, the complete opposite of Quay Cooper. His goal kicking, he had a, another off day with the boot. His kicking is now coming into question a little bit, isn't it, James? You saw that in the uh, third test for the Springboks against the Lions. They brought Mornay Stain on. And who thought he could kick a goal anymore? Not you. <laughs> exactly. Um, but Andre Pollard, uh, he left eight points out there, which would have meant the box won the game. You flip that and Quade Cooper kicks the winner. So a bad day for Andre Pollard. Um, Argentina have got to get a mention in the bad this week. Uh, lost against New Zealand. Didn't score a try. Didn't score a point. 39-0, wasn't it, Andy Rowe? Yes, it was. 39 zip. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't break the bagel, you get a mention in the bad. So not great from Argentina. Uh, but the bad this week... And it's our first show back. I know the news came out last week, but I'm just going to give it to the people that have come up with this idea around the World 12s. We've poo-pooed it. Jim's pissed all over it. Pre-Ibiza wee-wees and post-Ibiza wee-wees. We're not having it, are we, Jim? It's not down to me, but I don't think the masses are having it, to be honest. And the masses being the, the, the powers that be that own the players. So, But I'm not having it either. I'm not, I'm not hearing it. I'm not hearing it. 
No, there we go. So the bad this week goes to the World 12s and their idea to try and ram another tournament into an already compact uh, global season and not considering a player welfare. Uh, the ugly, uh, only one bit of ugly really from the game this week and it's really ugly. Uh, former footballer Fabrice Mwamba. Do you remember him, Jim? Yes. Had a heart attack, I think, on the pitch for Bolton. Uh, said his 12-year-old son was subjected to monkey chance after scoring a try against Manchester Grammar School in a school's rugby game. This no weekend. way. So, yeah, very disgusting scenes. And um, if it's true and it did happen, you hope that the appropriate action is taken by Manchester Grammar School and very harsh action needs to be taken. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, I've got a big shout-out to John Mowbray, a.k.a. Croc, because of his wobbly teeth. I didn't know that Crocs have wobbly teeth. Did you? I think it's crockery. Oh, crockery? I don't know. Bag of chips, Chris Ashton, that's what we used to call him anyway. And everyone else who's been raising money for the RFU, Injured Players Foundation recently, there was an IPF Vets tournament at Twickenham on Saturday involving Hammersmith and Fulham RFC, Ealing Trailblazers, I mean Finders RFC, Chiswick, Wimbledon, Rams and Schnillians. Is it Snillions? <laughs> I don't know why. Still Hillions, James. Still Hillions. Snillions. And they raised over £100,000, which is amazing. And if anyone wants to donate, you can still check the link on the RFU Injured Players Foundation website. And you can do it that way. Snillions. 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 Uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff from everyone involved in that. Big shout out to Gordana Rugby Club. I was speaking at their 50th anniversary dinner at the weekend. Um, best player. Kane Sowry. Um, apparently, he's really good. And then Ollie Slim is a bit of a legend. But what a rugby club. Gordano from Bristol, 50-year anniversary. They worked out it wasn't their 50-year anniversary. They were formed 130 years ago. Only in Bristol. Do you not know how old you are, kids? So um, big shout to the Gordano boys. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. And thanks to our new producer, Tristan. What a new producer. Do you guys even know that, guys? Yes, of course we did. And if it comes out, the podcast is normal, then I'll thank him next <laughs> week. But obviously, this is his cup final, getting the first episode of season six out there. And then we will welcome him with open arms if he's press record. So welcome, Tristan. This is your life. Good luck. <laughs> and thank you very much for listening as well. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby Spot. Spotted Pod, 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 Pod. pod.